Hi there, Connect Church. Can you believe we are in mid-December and we're going to be starting our Christmas series today? And we're looking at Jesus and, and his life, but we're going to be doing it in a slightly different way. I don't know if you know the story of um, the novel by um, Scott Fitzgerald of Benjamin Button. And basically, uh, he ages backwards. And it's just an interesting story and an interesting way of looking at life. But we're going to be doing that with Jesus and starting today with Jesus in Revelation. Because there's this magnificent picture of Jesus that brings us into so so much awe of him that when I read those scriptures, I can't help but worship. And I think it's so important that we look at this big picture of Jesus. If we keep Jesus in the manger, we, we risk forgetting that he's the third person in the Trinity, this God who who humbled himself. Sometimes if we're keeping him in the manger and we look at Jesus, the man on earth, um, People can often just equate him with with other religious figures that walked the earth and and other people that people seem to believe in other prophets. Um, whereas Jesus was third person in the Trinity, he is um, God come down. He's God amongst us, and so we can't water down this this baby in a manger. We've come to worship Jesus for all he's worth. When we look at Revelation, we see this beautiful picture that also shows us how much he really gave up by coming to earth and humbling himself. And so this is such a beautiful picture. In Revelation, we find um, John on the island of Pasmos, and he's been exiled, and, and he's a 100 years old. And you think, well, what does an old man, what fruit is he, and why is he, you know, why is he being exiled? Well, it shows that because a hundred year old, you know, you, you're not the strongest you've ever been, um, not the quickest, but it wasn't about that. He was a man who encountered the Jesus of the Gospels. He was a man who knew the power of the gospel and wasn't ashamed of it. And that was the threat that he was to those who didn't believe. Um, history tells us that they tried to burn him with oil and, and kill him, but he wouldn't die. So then he was exiled and it was not the beautiful Greek island that it was in those times. He was sent from Turkey and um, Patmos is very close to Turkey and he was sent um, off from Turkey. And it was kind of a bit of an adapt or die survivor situation um, as they were, were left on this island. And so he's there, but he has this most magnificent vision of Jesus and who he is. And um, it's a different side that we've ever seen. Um, and we see parts of Jesus that are just, I don't know, I just want to hold on to them and cling and, and just believe that that is how I'm going to see Jesus one day. And so it is such a, I don't know, treat, uh, one could say, um, to see, have these words. It's such a blessing. That's probably a better way to describe it, not a treat, a blessing. Such a blessing to to have this insight into who Jesus really was. I actually went to the island of Patmos and I actually was there with Shelley, who's a pastor of the church, and I convinced her to swim across to a little island just off the coast of Patmos. It was a beautiful chapel. Convinced her because she has a fear of sharks. I mean, we all do, but Shelley's is a little bit more severe. I convinced her there were no great white sharks um, in the island and around the island. And so we went swimming and we walked around this lovely little chapel on a small island. And then we decided to swim back. And as we were swimming back, if you've ever done open water swimming, you know you need to spot. You find that location that you're swimming to and you just every few strokes keep your eye on it because it's easy to go off course when you're doing open water swimming. We didn't know that and so we just swam and before we knew it, we were swimming in the completely wrong direction and we were going to another little bay on the side of the island. 
And next thing I heard Shelly screaming and I thought, my goodness, um, she's found the one great white shark in the Mediterranean because now we, we're quite deep in the water. And I look up and I see something that makes me want to scream too. And we both look and we just change course as fast as we can. I'm not going to reveal to you what we saw that day because that's the whole frustration is that revelation is something that we so badly want to see and then we get a glimpse of it and isn't it so awesome and I bet you want to know what we saw. Maybe you can bribe Shelly with coffee and she'll she'll tell you. But um, the book of Revelation is really that. It is a revelation. And I think sometimes we misunderstand that book and almost treat it like a bit of a, a spiritual horoscope, uh, what's going to be happening in the future. How does it affect me? And people can get very obsessed with the little details of how it will unfold. Um, and I guess we all have that fascination. It's the unknown. Yet the, the thing that we can, it can distract us and actually confuse us when the real beauty of the book of Revelation is there's this mystery around who Jesus is and now it's revealed. And what a joy when there's something that we're dying to see and longing to see and now it's revealed. If you think of the Christmas stories, Jesus revealed himself over and over as God called people. When he spoke um, through the angels to to various characters in the in the and people in the in the the nativity story. So if you look at at Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and how angels spoke to them, but God's messengers giving a message but calling them and revealing Jesus to them. The wise men who, who saw these stars and these signs and followed them and they found the real Jesus. He was revealed to them. Throughout scriptures, we see over and over again, people that just turned and heard God's voice and, and he revealed himself to them. That is the beauty of having Jesus revealed. When he reveals himself to us, we don't stay the same. But now we see John, this man who, instead of falling away from Jesus, loves him even more. Matthew 11 verse 6 kind of comes to mind, which says, Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. For some, the price tag of seeing Jesus is a huge one. For some, it means giving up a whole lot of other things because it demands our life. And if we look at, at Revelation, it's something we so long to see, but there are also things that can hinder us from encountering and seeing this real Jesus. If you look at and think of those scriptures in, in Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2, it talks about how, how we'll, in the last days, we'll have dreams and visions. That all has to do with Jesus revealing himself to people, calling himself to them. And that is what we so long for. But what stops us from encountering this real Jesus? I just jotted down a few things that came to mind, and, and the one was just our wealth. The Bible says it's harder for a rich man to enter through the eye of the, oh, sorry, the camel to enter through the eye of the needle than a rich man to, to get into the kingdom of God. Because there's so many things that are really barring us and, and blocking our vision, things that we're filling our life with that hinder us. And before we know it, we've, we've stopped that encounter with Jesus and we've, we've elevated other things. Wealth can be a real stumbling block when it comes to a Jesus revelation. The other has to do with, I think it's kind of three words that I could put together, but religiosity, pride and knowledge. And those are things that can so hinder us because we know so much about Jesus, but we are not encountering him. We're not meeting him on a daily basis. Something for me that's so profound is that when you see 
the 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 nativity story once again the wise men go and who do they go to they go to the biblical scholars those that knew the prophecies and the prophecies were so accurate if we we often will read them in church the isaiah the micah um all those those obscure little verses that speak about where he will be born and and when the time will come he'll be called out of egypt he'll be born in bethlehem you know the, all these signs were there and and yet they missed him. They pointed others to him. Isn't that interesting? But they didn't make that very short journey themselves that they could have made in an hour to go and see Jesus and meet him. What we know about Jesus can sometimes be the biggest stumbling block because we think we mistake Jesus and our knowledge of him with having found him and encountered him. So sometimes our, our religious, I don't know, spirit, our religious arrogance can actually hinder us from encountering the real Jesus. For others, it can actually be things like fear and hurt. Going, I, I, I actually stepped out and I, I didn't find him. I didn't feel any different. He didn't change me or I took this risk or um, I, I reached out to God and I felt disappointed. And that is many people's stories. They get put off because he doesn't respond in the way that they wanted him to. Remember when he says, blessed are you if you don't fall away on account of me. That sometimes the way Jesus meets us, the way he encounters us, it doesn't always fit into our framework. I think of the story of, of Jesus when he calls Simon Peter to come and walk on the water. And what happens? He takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. It's almost like his, his vision of Jesus just starts to disappear and he thinks he's going to drown. Matthew 14 verse 30 says, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And that really has to do with what we're calling out today is Lord, save us. If you feel like you, you need a, a fresh revelation of Jesus, we just need to keep eyes on him and look at him again. And what better way to do it than in the book of Revelation? When we have a revelation of Jesus and who he is, it gives us something to hold on to. It gives us that hope that anchors our soul. I remember when I was um, trying to figure out if if my wonderful husband, Jono, was the man for me. And it was right in the beginning and we were still good friends. But I was going, well, what is this? And, you know, uh, not this, him. <laughs> um, what What is this relationship? And, you know, how does this all look? And, and really feeling like I'm obviously never done the marriage thing before, not knowing and, and quite confused. And I remember distinctly, it was actually a Friday night, I was a kids ministry and I went across the road. And as I was walking across the road, I just looked to the left and I just had what was almost a tangible vision of, of John O'Donnell. Now, I wasn't desperate to get married. I wasn't, you know, kind of picturing myself as the bride everywhere. I actually wasn't that kind of a person. But but I saw this picture of John o in the church just looking at me and waiting for me. And, you know, for me, it just anchored my soul. Um, so, you know, every time you have an upset and you think, well, is this person for me or you know, am I? Yeah. Is this all just taking too long? Whatever it was. And I just found God kept on taking me back to that picture. And it's something that if I if I look now in my mind's eye, I can I can totally see it. And mind's eye sounds a bit new agey, but you know what I mean, my imagination or whatever. Um, I can absolutely see this picture that God gave me. And I really believe it was from him. And that's the beauty of a picture when you have this encounter. And I know that I know that Jono was the man for me and he was God's best gift for me. And I just love that about him. And and I can hold on to that um, even if we go through hard times or challenges. And I really think that the privilege of seeing this Jesus in Revelation gives us something to hold on to.
when we're feeling a little bit shaky in life right now, let's go to look at this picture of Jesus in Revelation and let it be an anchor for our souls. And this, I really encourage you, I believe with most, you know, kind of sermons and times that we do Bible study together, we often have to go back and process and, and read slowly um, the scriptures that we're looking at. And I really encourage you with Revelation to do that, to go and look at this slowly, because this is where God will encounter you. Um, in verse 7, it says, look, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all people on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. And then skipping to verse 12, it says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed like a robe, reaching down to his feet, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. What a wonderful picture of, of Jesus Christ. And so as we get a fuller picture of who he is and, and what he's doing in Revelation 1, the first thing I want to highlight to you is just where we find him. You know, as the state agents say, location, location, location. And we see here, where is he? Well, remember the church is described as the lampstands. And he, he's seen amongst them. And what a wonderful picture, the, the bride and the groom. And, you know, so often we can think that church is about us and about what we want and who we are. The church has always been about the groom. We are the bride coming to meet him. He loves us and, and he will dwell amongst us and he does. But we need to remember that this picture has to do with Jesus and, and we really just the lampstands. And it gives us a beautiful placing of, of where we are. But, but don't forget that he's amongst us. When you live life in light of Jesus being amongst us, every day might look very different and should look very different. If you think about it, we should be asking ourselves um, a lot of questions in the day about what would Jesus do? How would he respond? What would he say? And I really think that if we want to honor him, we need to remember, continually remind ourselves that he is amongst us. And you say, well, that's fairly obvious. If it's so obvious, are you living your life? Have you lived your life even today? Reflect on your last week, every moment as if he was amongst us. And we're human, and so we will make mistakes. But but the challenge is that, that this holy God has come to dwell amongst us, to love us intimately. And we need to focus on him again. We need to invite him to show us what it means to really live like him, to emulate him, to, to live in the light and in the presence of his holiness. And I think we'd become a lot, lot less casual about the way we live life and just thinking that, that the way we live doesn't matter. 
We've been through challenges in our church. If you think it was just a challenge in leadership and it wasn't about the way you responded in your heart, then you've missed the opportunity to grow more like Jesus. For me, it's been a learning curve. It wasn't about um, a certain situation. It highlights in all our hearts what God needs to change in us. If you want to live like Jesus, you need to respond like Jesus. If you say that you love him and you are part of his church, then you need to live like him. And you need to evaluate everything that you do in light of that. And all of a sudden, everything I do so radically changes. So we find Jesus amongst us. And what does he look like? And this is really the point of the of the revealed Jesus, what he looks like, how we see him in all his glory and brilliance. And we see him. And I think the only word that stands out to me, well, not the only word, but the big word is that his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. There's something so magnificent. I've seen people shine. I've seen people smile. I've seen happy people. But to see someone shining in all their brilliance, there's truly something magnificent about this Jesus. When John sees him, he doesn't seem to be like any person that we know. And many, you know, artists and, and, and people who've illustrated for children's Bibles have tried to really capture in Revelation um, this picture of Jesus, but nothing really captures it. And that's why I say that he needs to reveal himself so we can really understand the glorious radiance, his holiness, his splendor, his might. It's there on display and John sees it. And then he has not just a look, but he has a sound. It says a sound like rushing water. It's pouring out. I don't know if you've ever, I love standing in waterfalls and, and, and something, if you go right under the waterfall and you just let it cover you and soak you. And then you see someone on the shore and they are on the side of the waterfall and they're going like, and you can't hear a word because every other word is drowned out. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. Jesus' word is might. It's power. When Jesus speaks, his voice should drown out every other voice. His should be the voice that you're hearing. His should be the voice that you're responding to. Picture yourself in that beautiful fountain of life, just hearing him and, and just being soaked in it. Ezekiel 34 4 verse 2 says, And I saw the glory of God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing water, and the land was radiant with his glory. When I think of the voice of Jesus, I can often think of, you know, he leads me beside still waters and there's peace and there's joy and surrender. But there's also might and power in his voice. Have you experienced and have you had a revelation of the power of God in your life? The power of this Jesus in all his glory. And what is an appropriate response when you see Jesus in all his might, when he reveals himself to you? Well, let's look at what John does. In verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand upon me. And you know what I love about it? Is, is just the humble response of John. Just that falling onto his feet. Lord, I'm not worthy. That was often the response of Jesus. Who People who really encountered Jesus. They would fall on their feet. Yet he would lift them up. He would humbly place his hand on them. And that's the God who I serve. He's not distant. And as I fall at his feet, he doesn't just fold his arms and look at me. He encounters me. 
I think of Mary and Martha, where he actually says Mary's chosen the better thing, to sit at his feet, to learn from him, to encounter him. It's actually what he desires. It's one of those mysteries that this, this holy God who can have everything and everyone still loves me so much. Sinful, foolish, I don't know, me and you and all of us who just don't deserve it. But that is the God that I serve who so longs to encounter you and me. And then he says this, he says, do not be afraid. I'm the first, the last. I'm the living one. I was dead. And now look, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. That picture of holding keys if you got keys, maybe you remember the first house that you bought or the first place you rented or the first car that you got and you got those keys in your hand and it meant that is yours. That is your possession. And and that is it. And you put those keys in your first car and you drive it and it just feels awesome because it's yours. And that is the power and the ownership. Sometimes we put the keys of life and death and everything in other people's hands. We think it depends on others. Our life is in God's hands, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one that holds the keys. He has the ownership. He has the possession over it. And we can have a confidence knowing that he has it and he holds it and we can trust him completely. And as I end off, I just want to encourage you. Well, how do we respond to all of this? That old song comes to mind. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of the earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I encourage you, church, to turn your eyes to him. That is an appropriate response. And as we do, everything that we've been focusing on will become strangely dim. Our situations, where we find ourselves, the fear that we have, fourth wave will become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's the God that I want to encounter if anything, everything we've been through um, in, in, in the world in the last few years has just shown me how, how shaky my foundations can sometimes be. But God is offering us something so much better. Don't you want to reach out and have this revelation of the great and mighty Jesus? It will change you. It will change the way you live your life. It will change the fear, the anxiety, the lack of hope, the depression. He will come in and he'll minister to you in those spaces. Because that is the God who so intimately loves you, who puts his hand on your shoulder as you come to him. And as we end off, I just want to read a few more verses and um, and ways that, that Jesus reveals himself in the book of Revelation. And you can just take a moment, you can close your eyes and listen to these descriptions that will add a fuller picture that will help you to seek this God, this Jesus that is revealed in the book of Revelation. Revelation 1 verse 1 says Jesus is the Christ. 1 verse 5 says he's a faithful witness. 1 verse 5 also says he's the first begotten of the dead. It also says he's the prince of the king of the earth. Revelation 1 verse 8 to 13 says he's the Alpha and the Omega. It also says that he's the son of man. It also says in 13 and 18 that he that liveth and was dead. Revelation 5 speaks about him being the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David, the lamb that was slain, the lamb, 
the Lord of Lords in, in Revelation 17, the King of Kings. He describes himself as faithful and true. In Revelation 19 verse 11, we see him as the rider on the white horse and the word of God. In Revelation 20, we see him as the Christ. In Revelation 22 verse 6, we see him as the Lord God of the holy prophets. In 22 verse 13, we see him as the beginning and the end. And 22 verse 16, the bright and morning star. If that isn't a brilliant picture of Jesus, then I don't know what is. As you come to worship Jesus this Christmas, put, cast your mind and your thoughts onto all of this and let him reveal himself to you. I'm going to pray that God will reveal himself in such a fresh and beautiful way to us as his congregation, as his people, because it will change the way that we come and worship him. Lord, we come to you humbly. We fall on our faces and we say, Lord, we're not worthy. Yet you revealed yourself, Lord. You showed yourself to man. What is man that you are mindful of him? Lord, that was such a beautiful picture that you gave John. A picture that he held on to, Lord, and we hold on to it. Lord, we long to see you face to face. But while we live here on earth, won't we just live in light of who you are? And this beautiful revelation, these words that we can hold on to. Lord, you are faithful and true. Lord, we don't want to have a, an academic head knowledge of you, but not really believe and trust and encounter the living God. Because it's in those words of life, in that encounter with you, in that true revelation that you change us. Lord, we want to look to you and we know that those that look to you are radiant. They are never put to shame. Lord, change in us what you need to change those things that hinder. And Lord, may we focus completely on you. Thank you, Father, for your love. As we end our online service, I just wanted to remind you that we're keeping our thank offering open for the month of December. Um, we usually have it for the month of November, but we still have a way to go. And there are three amazing projects that you can contribute towards in it. And that is that the one is that we every year we give to the missionaries that we support. And this is just an end of year blessing um, that goes towards ministry expenses or whatever their needs may be. And then the other is uh, the Capricorn Church is saving up for a container um, to extend and grow their ministry. It really is. Their ministry is growing. Um, I have mentioned to some at the church, but even in the kids ministry where we were collecting presents for 30, 40 kids. Now we're going towards 90 kids and teenagers. And so they really need more space um, and indoor space um, for their ministry. And so if you ever have time, give Bernadette a call and pop into the Capricorn Church. It really is amazing how God is using her and her ministry there. And then the other is the Harari Project, which is an ongoing project. And we really trust in God um, that this will be the year where, or 2022 will be the year where we can finish this off and see this church blessed with a spectacular building that they can use for ministry space. So these aren't things to to kind of sew back into our congregation, but they're kingdom collections. And I really want to challenge you, especially if you can't come to church, do an EFT, please earmark it for the, for the um, thank offering. So it is assigned to that. And we just trust in God for great things um, in the month ahead. Thanks so much.